Hello everyone, my name is Masanya Scott. I'm a business development manager for two services at AWS, AWS Service Catalog and AWS Control Tower. And I also have with me today, Sid Gupta, who's the principal product manager for AWS Config. And we're honored to have Brian Slater, who's the head of technology architecture for Leg Mason, a financial services company. So we're gonna get started with our presentation today on how to ensure configuration compliance. Our agenda, we're gonna talk about some challenges and some of those challenges may be familiar with you all. Uh, we'll talk about a best practice to addressing configuration compliance. And when we say configuration compliance, we're talking about uh, infrastructure as code. And then we're gonna give, uh, Brian's gonna come up here and tell you how like Mason uh, addresses configuration compliance, and then we'll wrap it up. We do have some related sessions regarding governance, and feel free to take a picture of that slide uh, throughout this uh, week at reInvent. And I'll pause for just a minute so I see some cameras up. All right, let's get started. Let's talk about some challenges. So if anybody's ever been on a Tiger team, and I'm sure some people in here are, um, as you were going on your cloud journey, you're excited about moving to the cloud, you had a particular workload, um, you saw the, the opportunity for speed and agility, and you were ready to expand this and move forward. And then here come the, uh, the, the regulators, I'll call them. Your compliance team, your security team, they weren't aware of what was going on. They wanted to see, prove to me that this is uh, gonna be consistent, secure. What is your approach? How many people have had that situation? Don't raise your hands, blink, because you might be next, sitting next to somebody in compliance or security. But the whole premise of that is, how do you address that when builders wanna move fast, innovate, be creative, but your cloud teams or your IT teams or your, even your governance, whoever that may be, uh, want to make sure that uh, you mitigate the risk, protect your brand, and also uh, uh, conform to all the compliance needs that your company has. So typical compliance challenges is how do we address compliance, especially as we're moving to infrastructure as code? We, we're changing now from you know, hardware racks and stacks. How do you address infrastructure as code? Uh, we know about how to do it in the software world, uh, but how do we do it at this level? How do you educate your stakeholders? You know, we recommend proactively, proactively getting in your security and your compliance teams involved, helping them understand uh, how this process works. How do you embed that, those, those standards into your, as you introduce new technologies and services into your organization? And then how do you report the findings um, from as you're getting audited? And how do you even educate your auditors on how we're transitioning to infrastructure as code? Because some may or may not be aware of that. So we're gonna move to best practices. Um, and what I wanna say is that uh, with AWS management and governance tools, you can have both agility and governance at the same time, leveraging these native services. If you guys don't remember anything I said, if you ate a big breakfast and you're a little tired, just remember this, the way to establish that governance is pre-configure compliance into your cloud designs. Provide that proof to your compliance and your security teams so that you have consistent delivery patterns and people feel more secure that what you're doing is predictable. So from a best practice approach, we're gonna talk about four areas and then we're gonna have this theme of detective and preventive controls. And you'll hear that through Sid, myself, as well as uh, Brian today. So establish your standards. Uh, you know, remember where you start from in your, your other journeys prior to the cloud. Uh, align your standards to uh, your industry, your regulatory, your company policies. Design your configurations. We recommend that you do templates so that you can have that consistent delivery. Launch your products in a predictable manner. And we'll talk about that and talk about two services that can enable that. And then ultimately, so you've done all this innovation, you've met your standards, 
But then you also have to figure out a way to manage and mitigate and remediate issues as you're moving your workloads to the cloud. So let's talk about establishing your standards. First thing you have to do is align what are your key requirements for configurations and how, how much security compliance, how much uh, uh, governance is needed for each environment that you have. If you set that up first, then it starts that chain of predictable uh, delivery for your uh, environment, for your workloads. Once you've established those standards, then you have to go to designing your configurations. And when I talk about designing the configurations, I'm focusing on what does it mean for, uh, I've got this example of a full application stack. So at that top layer, there's your software, your code repositories. But if we, we're gonna focus today on that cloud service configuration, what are your service templates? What model do you have for every different type of workload? How are you creating those service templates to be uh, consistent and then give the agility through parameters? What are your configurations for security? What kind of resources are gonna be in your workloads? What uh, processes are you going through? And then operational metadata, we also know, the, know that as tags. How are you consistently delivering your uh, resources and tagging them and your tagging strategies uh, provides more details and information? So from a design perspective, you have to make sure that your uh, configurations are immutable. And some people are like immutable, unchanging, um, consistent. Uh, aligning those to your configuration environment, so that one slide I had above where uh, I talked about each different environment. Enabling detective controls uh, for it, such as config rules, and then also enabling auditing and reporting for your uh, different workloads. Removing from establishing the standards, designing the configurations, now it's time for us to start moving things into the cloud environment, your resources. So AWS CloudFormation is our orchestration tool that allows you to, through soft infrastructure as code, to launch resources into the AWS environment. We also have AWS Service Catalog, which is a, uh, a proxy to CloudFormation and what we do is we separate the permissions of the resources to the end user that's requesting them. So what happens is the end user has access to products that they can provision, and the resource permissions are put on launch constraints that allows those products to provision and service catalog as a service uh, invokes those uh, products and provisions them. From a configuration enablement perspective, what our service does is tag options, and I also call them standardized tags. So if you have a product, uh, which, which is basically a CloudFormation template, you can put tags, standardized tags, called tag options, that allow every time that product is invoked for those tags to consistently be on those products. We also give you the ability to put values for different key tags, and so then you can give your end users choices and you'll see this in an upcoming demo of which type of uh, tag to value to select. We also enable stack sets where you can uh, provision a product to multiple accounts or multiple regions as long as there's a trust relationship between those products. And finally, uh, we, we know that a lot of customers have enterprise service management tools or ITSM tools. Um, so what we've done is we've also developed connectors to uh, ServiceNow, as well as uh, recently launched Elastian Jira Service Desk to allow you to provision products in their catalogs or request mechanisms, and those products uh, then provision uh, AWS uh, resources into our platform. So like I was saying before, you uh, embed the configuration compliance through that product, you put your permissions, your parameters, and we only expose those parameters and versions of the products to the end users. And then you can um, organize your products into what we call portfolios. And in some ITSM tools, they call them categories. And then from that, those launch constraints 
uh, allow the end users to then request those products. So the products can either be requested through the, uh, the console, uh, the majority of customers use us from a command line experience, and now we have uh, two ITSM connectors that allows customers to provision them from there. So what I'm gonna do um, is I've, I've created a demo to show you how from a preventive control, doing those provisioning, and then we're gonna also talk about, show you some post-operational actions. So in my demo, you'll see here this architecture diagram that shows that there's a connection between Elastic and Jira Service Desk and AWS Service Catalog. We state a source of truth, and then what we're gonna do is order an EC2 instance. So here is the um, control help center for uh, Elastic and Jira Service Desk. And I've just asked for, I, I need a server for my uh, latest app, I'm going to look at different products and I'm going to select the web server one. I'll see where that, that product and portfolio and what region is going to be provisioned in. I'm going to give it a unique product reference name and then I'm going to select which version of the product that I want to provision. I'll input my parameters and I want to select a T2 medium instance. Remember I was talking about those tag options and that you can do choices. So for my cost center, I automatically put the choice in that I want, and then I, I hit create, and now what we're doing? Oh, in this tool, you can do approvals as well. So I automatically did as an administrator, I know normally you know, a different person is the, uh, the approver, showed you how you could approve that request, and now it's launching. We put in the request parameters, and then we show the product events. We already have information pulling into uh, Jira Service Desk of that product. So now I'm taking you into EC2 console, and I'm showing you that that product is initializing. And then I wanna show you how that 1893 tab for the cost center, all those different uh, tags were automatically placed on that EC2 instance. So now what we're going to do is show how some of that's done through AWS Service Catalog is that you, you compile your products through a uh, portfolio. I'm showing the web server product. We do have a feature with budgets to view those. And then I'm going to click on the LAMP stack 3 that I requested. And I'm showing you that not only do we have the confirmation template, but you just saw post-operational actions for um, an EC2. So you have the ability, once it's provisioned, to stop or start an EC2 instance. So in Service Catalog, we also place the provision product details, make that available. We're back in your service desk. It's showing that it succeeded. So we're gonna pull and come back and let people know that this did happen correctly. Now what I'm doing is going to a previous request, showing that that product was available in your service desk. And now I have the ability to request an update, a terminate, or I could do a self-service action on that product. And so what I'm gonna do is that M1 on the previous product that I provisioned, that's too much compute, I don't need that. So I'm gonna update it and change it. And as you can see, it's gonna start uh, to update that instance and uh, bring it down to a T2 family. And I also just got a notification that my previous uh, request is now available in a Jira service desk. So from a provisioning and um, perspective, this is what's available and uh, can help with the configuration compliance. Now I'm gonna turn it over to Sid, who's gonna talk about detective controls. Thanks, Masonia. Hello, everyone. My name is Sid Gupta. 
I'm a principal product manager at AWS, and I'll be talking a bit about uh, managing your resources once the resources have been provisioned. So you heard from Masonia how preventative controls are necessary in your environment uh, to ensure that resources uh, are not mis misconfigured prior to provisioning uh, of those resources. So oftentimes, uh, you may come across situations where uh, configuration changes are made out of band. Now, this could be either through the AWS console, like outside of service catalog, or it could be through APIs. Uh, now, in such situations, we recommend having detective controls in place. So as a best practice, you should have both preventative and detective controls in your environment to make sure that your resources are compliant with your internal guidelines, policies, and best practices. So some of the things that you need to answer uh, using these detective checks is, are your resources configured based on best practices? And do they comply with your internal policies uh, or maybe regulatory policies that are dictated by PCI or HIPAA? So for these reasons, uh, in order to effectively implement a detective control, you need to know a few things. Things such as, what resources exist in my account? What is the current configuration state of those resources? And what was the configuration state at any point in time in the past? How are my resources related to each other? And finally, what are the resources that violated my policies? So in short, you need a real-time configuration auditor in the cloud. Now the key word here is real-time, because as you may know, resources in the cloud are very dynamic. You've got things like auto-scaling mechanisms, spot instances, where your resources come and go within a matter of minutes. But it's important to make sure that even for that short amount of time, your resources do not violate any policies that you've set. So that's where AWS Config comes in handy. AWS Config is a native agentless service within AWS that can automatically discover the resources in your account. The moment it's turned on, it tracks changes to the configuration of those resources, and it maintains that history for about seven years by default. And since we are capturing the configuration state of your resources, you can then create policies using config rules that analyzes that configuration based on your requirements. Now, these evaluations occur in real time, and config will alert you through SNS notifications or CloudWatch events whenever a resource violates a particular rule. Lastly, you can also integrate AWS Config with your own investments in ITSM tools, such as ServiceNow or any other tool that you have in the market. I'm super excited to talk about some of our recent launches in AWS Config. So we launched automatic remediation with Config Rules earlier this year. Now, this is a feature that allows you to not only detect the changes uh, or the compliance uh, notifications for resources, but also take a corrective action after that. So for example, if, if you have a config rule that told you that this particular EC2 security group is wide open to the whole world on port 22, you can now have a remediation action that can go and fix that security group automatically triggered the moment it's detected. So as I mentioned earlier, since your resources are dynamic in the cloud, you may have only a few minutes till the, that resource is uh, alive. But automatic, automatic remediation will help you take that corrective action without any manual intervention. Another feature that we launched last week is conformance packs. So conformance packs help you package a set of config rules along with remediation actions into a single entity known as a conformance pack. Now, this entity can be deployed across your entire organization since it's integrated with AWS organizations. So you can do that with a simple click, and it's a really quick way to establish a quick baseline across your entire enterprise 
without having to worry about the deployment of each individual rule and the associated remediation action. The pack gets deployed as a whole, so it really it's intended to simplify your deployment experience at scale. Another benefit of conformance packs is that from a reporting perspective, now you can get compliance summaries at the pack level, and then you can drill down to get more details at the rules or the resource level. The third benefit of conformance packs is that they're immutable, meaning if they have been deployed from the organization master account, the member accounts or the child accounts cannot modify or delete those packs. So this is especially important from a governance perspective, because oftentimes you have central IT teams or InfoSec teams who want to deploy these governance rules, but those member accounts may end up disabling them or deleting them altogether. The third feature that we launched last week is called Custom Configuration Items. Now, this is a very exciting feature, because this allows you to use AWS Config for non-AWS resources. So a good example is a GitHub repository, and you can use a config rule to identify GitHub repositories that are public or private. Another example could be an Active Directory server that may reside on-premise or in any other environment, and you want to govern the configuration of that Active Directory using config rules. So it's really opening up the world, opening up config to the world, so that you can use config as the single tool to audit not just AWS, but also non-AWS resources. So let me go and give you a quick demo on conformance packs. So I can access the conformance packs through the new console or the redesigned console uh, on the AWS config page. So here on the left nav, let me click on conformance packs. So I'll go ahead and deploy a conformance pack. Now, conformance packs uses a, a YAML template under the covers. So we have a few sample templates available. These are for best practices for various services like DynamoDB, S3, IAM. We even have a conformance pack for PCI DSS. So you can either choose one of these sample templates and modify them according to your needs, or you could create your own template. So I've already downloaded a template for S3 best practices. So this is what the template looks like. It's got all the config rules uh, within that pack, and it's also got the remediation actions associated with each rule. So it's a very familiar format. It's a YAML format that you're familiar with CloudFormation already. So it should be easy to use this template. So I'll go ahead and upload this template. Let me give it a name. And I'll specify the S3 bucket where I want my conformance pack reports to be delivered and supply any input parameters for the YAML template. So let me go ahead and now deploy this pack in my account. All right, so it's in progress. Let's wait a few seconds. And there you can see that it got deployed. So if I click into the pack, I can see all the config rules within that pack, its remediation status, and the compliance status of each rule. And when I click into the rule, I can see more details about the remediation action associated with the rule. and the resources that are compliant or non-compliant.
So let me now go ahead and, yeah. So what I showed you earlier was a conformance pack in a single account. Now imagine a scenario where you're an organization master and you want to deploy this pack across your entire organization. So here's a, a quick CLI command to do that. So I just deployed a conformance pack in my org. So let's go ahead and I've got, I've got two accounts in my org, so I'll, I'll go ahead and click on one of the member accounts just to see if that pack got deployed. So you can see the pack got deployed there and it's non-compliant. I can click on it and get more details about the individual rules within that pack, just like before. So I mentioned earlier about the benefit of immutability. So let me now try to delete this pack. So I'm, I'm logged in as a member account, and now let me try to delete it. Let's see what happens. So as you can see, uh, you got an error there. Uh, or a message saying that you don't have enough permissions to delete this pack. So really useful from a governance perspective to make sure that your baseline policies don't get tampered with uh, by your member accounts in your organization. All right, so that was um, a demo on conformance pack. Now let me go ahead and give you another demo on the second feature that we launched last week called custom configuration items. So in this demo, I'm going to be tracking the configuration of an Active Directory server, uh, which could be located anywhere. It could be on-premises or any other cloud. So let's go ahead. So I'll log in to my Active Directory server, and you can see I've got a few users in there. Let me click on user SID. So you can see here that the password never expires flag is set to true. Now ideally from a best practice standpoint, you don't want to have such configuration for your Active Directory users. You want your users to uh, keep changing their passwords every few days. So we will use config rules to check or to identify all users who have this flag set to true. Okay. So just to describe the architecture here a little bit, I've got a Lambda function there. It's called an Active Directory config connector, AD config connector, uh, that will basically poll the Active Directory using LDAP polling. It will fetch the configuration of that user and then turn around and write that information into config using our custom CI APIs. Once that information is in config, I can then use config rules, which uses Lambda functions behind the covers to analyze that information and to identify all resources that have that flag, password never expires, set to true. So I've got more information on the Lambda function here, but you can get all of these details through our GitHub repository, so I'll quickly skip through this part. All right, 
So this is the config console, and this, this rule uh, or the Lambda function actually runs every minute. So it, every minute it fetches the Active Directory configuration and sends it to config. So as you can see here, it's identified uh, Sid as the user who's uh, non-compliant uh, for the rule that we set. So as usual, uh, you can get the same timeline for config where you can see what configuration changes occurred on this user. Uh, and then you can also see uh, compliance changes for that user. So this is a timeline for the compliance where you can see uh, how this user went in and out of compliance across uh, any point in time. So very useful feature uh, if you want to use config as the single tool to govern not just AWS, but any resource out there. Uh, it could be any third-party tool, uh, a SaaS tool, GitHub repository, anything that you have there. All you need to do is configure the schema of that custom resource in CloudFormation registry, uh, and then you can start pumping that data into config using our public APIs. So really encourage you to try out these new features in config, and uh, that will really help you ensure configuration compliance in your environment. With that, let me hand it over to Brian, uh, who will talk about uh, the strategies that they use at LegMason uh, to ensure configuration compliance. Thanks, Sam. So hi, my name is uh, Brian Slater. I'm the head of technology um, architecture at LegMason. Um, just a little bit of a background about the company. Um, we are a financial services company, so we do have a lot of compli compliance needs and uh, things that we need to get into our environment. Um, we have locations worldwide, so we have a variation of um, things that we need to always monitor and make sure we're in compliance. And if you can go to the URL and find some more about the company if you're interested there. Um, a little bit about our AWS journey. Um, we were at a managed service provider, and um, for more of a long-term strategy, we decided to go with AWS. As part of that move, we had to do it in nine months' time. Um, uh, due to some deadlines that we had. Um, we brought on some additional staff, trained up with staff as much as we could during that period of time. And um, where we could take the opportunity, we wanted to make sure we were um, using enterprise tool sets wherever possible. Um, we didn't want to manage our environments um, differently in AWS and on-prem. Um, so we, when we looked at AWS services, we wanted to make sure we were choosing and configuring things as much as possible to leverage um, the, those features. And then all of those compliance tasks that were sort of outsourced in the past or another group's uh, responsibility, all of that came back in-house on um, the team, so we wanted to make sure we definitely delivered that. So just in case you, you don't know why compliance is important to us, it's, it's all about um, serving our customers, but also about financial and reputational uh, impacts there. Um, as far as compliance frameworks, we have SOX and 404 audits. Um, we also have um, compliance uh, needs based on um, what's called overarching controls. Uh, I would kind of summarize those in you know, managing your environment well. Um, anybody that's managing their environment with best practices um, and keeping a close eye on it would, would be meeting those kind of overarching controls. And then um, you know, a general policy that we wanted to apply to our environment as well is that we didn't want to manage our production environment and non-production environments differently. Um, if it was what we needed in production, we wanted to make sure we applied this exact same rule set to our non-production environment. That way we can move data back and forth um, without worrying about sanitizing any of the data or that there would be any kind of exposure in our lower environments along the way. So you heard a little bit um, earlier about going from a preventative and then a detective. Um, I wanted to start off with talking about detective, but it really is an iterative process. Um, it, you're ever going to have um, changes in your environment, so you'll never be able to start off with a, with a perfect uh, situation every time, but as you uh, make changes to your environment, you might have new requirements. You can build those into your controls and then roll them back into um, your provisioning so that um, as, as new things are in your environment, you're, you're starting off on the, on the best possible starting point along the way. So our first use case here is around um, using Systems Manager, and you'll see how that rolls into some of the um, config and service catalog a little bit later on. But using Systems Manager, we've been able to completely automate our, um, our patching process. 
It was always uh, a hit or miss um, historically, but since we've um, started using um, a systems manager, we've been able to um, hit those cycles, uh, report on them um, in a very standard and, and, and good way. And um, if you do have things that you need to do that are out of your patching cycle, whether it be you know, some kind of new vulnerability that's out there or something you need to apply to your environment, you can use the exact same approach that you do for patching your environment for um, fixing, fixing those items. So you can run, use the uh, systems manager uh, run commands to uh, do those ad hoc things. And then what's really great about this approach as well, um, going back to the enterprise tool sets, you can use Systems Manager regardless of operating system. So you're no longer going, oh, this is the best tool for Windows and this is the best tool for Linux, but um, you can use this tool and it works well um, for both. And then uh, some of the other benefits that you get out of using the Systems Manager um, is uh, using the software uh, inventory that comes out of that. Um, not only can you get it for uh, your patch management and getting inventory of the software on those EC2 resources, uh, you can also leverage that for some license management. Um, it's, it's really great to have an inventory. Uh, so if you want to see what versions of software you're running out there, if something new comes out um, and, and the new version is vulnerable in some way, you can query your entire environment rel relatively quickly um, because you already have the inventory readily available for you and then um, assess the risk. Um, based on that. And then, um, as you just saw, you can track software changes as well. And all of this is kind of a groundwork to then move into AWS Config, which uh, we'll get to in just a moment. So just one tip, um, we were moving quickly. Um, could have saved ourselves some time, so I just wanted to throw it out there. If you are using SSM to gather your um, inventory, set that frequency really low so you're not waiting for that to run and rescan your environment and track your changes. Um, if you have it set for one day, you may be waiting a while to see some of, uh, some of your work take effect. Um, when I was talking about the um, process being automated, what, what we've done with Systems Manager is we set up maintenance windows. Um, and what you see up on the screen here is two types of maintenance windows. One is uh, a scan maintenance window that will go out um, very frequently and continually scan all of our resources. So if we need to take action or we want to know what's um, the, the most up-to-date uh, software on our systems, we don't have to wait till another day to find out or have that lag behind there. And then um, we have what is an install um, action um, and SSM on the maintenance windows. And those are the ones that actually do the patching for us. So you'll see different patch groups there. Um, we enable them right before we would like to roll them out. This also gives us another uh, level of control of making sure a, a patching cycle isn't misscheduled in some way and goes out to the environment. One of the other pieces that's really nice that comes out of here that kind of rolls into some of the other things you saw earlier is you get these nice compliance summary reports um, out of SSM. So if you want to report um, to your IT organization, everything's uh, uh, been patched uh, and any of your rules, you can extend those out here, but this is just more about the patching piece on this screen here. You can use these as reports you send out for status or you can save them off um, as you know, evidence uh, for your compliance team that um, you did indeed patch um, the environment and everything was all clear. And then the next uh, uh, use case is really using what we just saw with SSM and starting to leverage it for AWS Config. So there's just up on the board here, there's a list of order of things that we went through. Um, our approach was uh, using S3 as a repository for all of our installation um, executables or RPMs. And then in addition to that, you could store your configuration files there or any other items that you need to deploy to the environment. Um, then we started building up our document repository. This is the SSM document repository, which is really calling those scripts with some additional parameters. Um, you can share those out to other teams to run as an approved thing to do instead of having someone log into a machine and run those uh, scripts manually. This uh, document could be uh, leveraged instead. So you get a consistent uh, uh, installation or approach to that. Then you can leverage those SSM documents to build automation documents, which um, we'll, we'll see in AWS Config later. We decided to um, not create separate documents doing the same thing. There are different document types. Uh, we use the automation documents as a wrapper to call our SSM documents um, so that we didn't need to maintain two versions that do similar things. 
then you can go into building your configuration rules. Um, in this case, we're, we're gonna see a simple example, but you could expand this out to any kind of software agents in your environment. Um, this is for um, um, inst installing the software and making sure it's available because you need it for some kind of operational cybersecurity log auditing uh, capability. You wanna make sure those things are out there. So we built out the, the configurations roles uh, to, to see where we were as far as um, compliant, non-compliant, which you, you saw a little bit earlier. Um, once we detected that and we were comfortable with our automation documents, we could then use um, the config auto-remediate feature, which I'll show you in just a moment, um, to then automatically correct anything that was not compliant. This has been pretty powerful in our environment to make sure that we're, we're consistent um, throughout. Then some other things that you'll need to do depending on your AWS environment, how it's set up, if you have a multi-account uh, structure, um, you'll need to set uh, appropriate roles, um, and then you'll wanna share that central repository of work out to all of your child accounts. So this is really scalable. Um, once, once you get something that is operational and ready to go, um, you can scale that any way you need. And then where it starts um, adding yet, yet another um, feature is that you can extend the same process when I was talking about earlier, um, having an enterprise approach, you can extend this to your on-premise systems as well. Um, you don't have to manage AWS and on-premise uh, as, as a different process with a different tool set. Um, going, uh, just a quick screenshot here, where I was talking about the difference between the two different document types. You'll see on the left there, there's a command, um, a command document, which is your standard uh, SSM document, and then the one right next to it is the automation document, which, again, this is kind of a wrapper of the first document. You need that automation document to be able to use the AWS config remediation feature. You can't use uh, an SSM document directly, so that's the importance of that automation document. So this is a um, AWS config role that's looking for software on um, a system and seeing if it's compliant or not based off of that SSM inventory that was referring to earlier that was used during the patching process. And you can see <clears throat> at a summary level that the remediation action set for an automation document. And diving into that configuration role, um, what you'll see is uh, there is uh, the resources that it's using, that SSM managed instance inventory, is being leveraged yet again. So um, the AWS config role is using the SSM uh, managed inventory that it's, that it's collecting on a regular basis, and it's looking for this particular value here, which in this case is the NCPA client. That's the name that it's registered on Linux systems. Just a note there is that even from the same vendor, they may be different on Windows and Linux, so you may need to build out different documents to to look for different name sets, even though it's kind of the same software. And once you have the automation documents, they'll be available in the remediation action dropdown. You just select the one that you wanna use against this uh, config rule when it's not compliant. And there's some additional uh, parameters there, but once you set that and it's detected as not compliant, it'll go ahead and just call the automation document, which calls your SSM document and goes and grabs all the uh, software um, and scripts that you have stored in S3. So <clears throat> there's a, probably a lot better way to do this than when we did it now, especially after probably a lot of the announcements here at um, this reInvent. But even if you had to take a step back and those features weren't available to you, you can script a lot of this out, um, leveraging AWS organizations, pulling in those account numbers, um, using an automated process to share out those documents, because you're always gonna either be adding accounts or adding documents, um, and doing this through the console is not as efficient as um, scripting some of this out. And one of those other little, little tips as you're going through this, make sure if you're constantly iterating over your documents or your automation documents that uh, as you make changes, make sure you set the default version uh, to the one you actually want the remediation to run. Um, and then just wrapping up on the AWS uh, uh, config and software. So again, the config rules can comply to your own um, or apply to your on-premise systems as well. You don't have to manage those differently. Uh, you can leverage your ITSM uh, ticketing system if you want. Um, you can integrate it however it works for best for your organization and sending tickets, creating tickets for people to take action on. Or in our case, um, you know, we do create tickets, but they're automatically co uh, closed as the uh, remediation kicks in. It'll automatically close the ticket as well, so no interaction is, is needed there. 
as you're developing, if you want to test some things out in your low environment, you, you don't have to hook it into your ITSM tool, or if you don't have one available, you can still use SNS topics to send out notifications to teams. And then really two, two powerful things that came out of this is that um, the, the number of resources and time spent on making sure all the required software um, is out there to, to be compliant has been drastically reduced. Um, once you spend a little time setting up these documents and uh, using AWS config, your, your environment magically is, is always at the right state. Um, and, and there's not a need for someone always going out and checking manually or finding out that something's not uh, completely compliant, there's something missing in your environment when you need it the most. And then that's where finding the root cause of problems or troubleshooting something has been cut down drastically. Again, you don't go out, you, you have a, an incident of some kind, you go out, you want to grab some data, and oh, somebody is new, they didn't know to install that agent, we're going to have to backtrack a little bit, install the agent, collect the logs. You're not starting from that negative spot. You can just go in um, and know that when an actual incident or something you need to respond to or just troubleshooting, all the uh, information you need is already there so you can actually work on the problem. And this is just something from a, um, you know, a logging and auditing standpoint that's, that's really nice about this and make sure that you can always answer the question for your compliance team or audit team is that you have these automation documents that are available. You don't actually have to always use a config rule to call the automation documents. You can execute those um, ad hoc if you need to. And as you do that as a user, an IAM user, you'll see the first couple lines there is my IAM user actually uh, executing the document manually. And then um, you'll see a list of the auto-remediation actions being triggered against resources as well. So that's always being tracked and logged in your environment so you know who or what is uh, correcting your environment. And then finally, the, uh, the use case that um, you're, you're never going to have it all perfect right up front. So there's always going to be a need, uh, or, or there's always going to be a need for you to go in and troubleshoot or, or work on something that hasn't been automated yet, or you don't want to automate because it's a riskier um, automation task and you're not quite ready for it. So you can always use um, SSM Sessions Manager to log into the system, allow re um, teams to log in, but you can use the Sessions Manager to record all of the activity that's going on, all the keystrokes in that environment, so you're never losing visibility and what teams are doing on your critical business systems, but allowing some flexibility um, when you're not completely at either an automation step or you need to do something that's uh, an ad hoc task. And then everything that is outside of the uh, EC2 resource in this case, you, you'll get the cloud trail logs that are covering you from an audit trail as well. And this is just a high level uh, diagram uh, showing that we've centralized um, all of our S3 that I was referring to earlier, all the installation tasks, all the SSM documents, all the config rules, and then we push those to the child accounts um, in our uh, AWS environment. So it, it scales really nicely. And then on the, the bottom uh, right there, um, what we've done is used uh, dedicated AWS accounts that are just to manage on-prem systems. That way you, get it, um, you can treat your on-prem data centers or locations as an AWS uh, account like you would in any other environment, and it gives you some flexibility on not commingling systems um, or if you want to separate access across different teams, you can do that, but you're still using the exact same approach, the exact same documents and config roles in each of those environments. And then once you've laid that foundation, now you can get it whatever stage you're at. You can make sure any new thing that comes into your environment is provisioned correctly, leveraging um, the same work that you've already put in there for a detective and remediation. So using AWS Service Catalog, um, you can see just a, a little snip out of the, the catalog there. It's calling our SSM documents that we, we created earlier. So instead of waiting for the um, resource to be provisioned and then those config rules kick in, then call all of your automation to fix it, as the resource being uh, provisioned, you can have the, uh, the catalog call those SSM documents as it's being provisioned. So you, you get it right up front and you don't have that window of time where it's, it's not in compliance. And then this is more for internal teams, but because we've gotten this work done, we've gotten all of our best practices and compliance roles, et cetera, all, all straight, um, we can now start using um, our ITSM tool, which is ServiceNow, uh, and we're, we're in a proof of concept stage, but very close to production, 
where we can now present this out, just like you saw with the, uh, the JIRA help desk, we can present this out to other teams and we can know that any resources that are being provisioned are um, following all our compliance rules. And a, a feature of using that as well is that um, if, if you do have drifts within your provision resources, you can see here that um, you can track any of the, um, once, once a resource was actually provisioned and something went um, off from your original rule set, uh, you're tracking that um, at, up front as well for um, any of the changes that occurred using the drift detection. Just to summarize where, where this has been from an efficiency standpoint, um, you can see the different categories there, but um, all that we covered so far was taking about five resources time to do, and we're now down to about 1.5 now that this is done. We're not constantly in a grind of fixing things. We can move on to do more valuable um, work. And the best part of all of this is the conversation now changes with the audit teams, et cetera. So you know, if you got the question, are you compliant? I, th I think so. Um, to, I know so. Um, it, it, it's a very um, empowering statement that you can say there um, and be very confident about it. Uh, you don't have the questions of when, when did that happen? Well, that was sometime between our last check and now. Um, to, uh, I can definitely tell you that it happened on Tuesday at this time. And then, um, well, who or what made that change? If you know some of those other things, um, well, you no longer have to go see who was logged on and, and try to do some correlation there. You can answer those questions um, directly. You, you know what um, either the ARN that did it, um, or you can watch the recorded session and all the um, actions that took place. And then along with that, here are all the logs that you have for, um, and here are the logs for evidence. Thank you very much. Back to Masanya. Thank you, Brian. So outcomes of ensuring compliance, uh, baking in preventative and detective controls will give you an uh, improvement in operational efficiency, consistent delivery, service template consumption, uh, enhanced customer satisfaction, and uh, at the end of the day, make compliance happy, okay? So uh, from a call to action, if you guys feel free to take a screenshot of this, we've placed in some tiny URLs uh, for various, uh, from AWS Config, our answer to configuration, infrastructure configuration management, AWS Service Catalog, as well as um, the details within Config on GitHub and the new features that we've recently released. Uh, provide, provide us feedback on these services, and uh, let's uh, work together to get some compliant workloads into your production environments. On behalf of Sid, myself, and um, Brian, we truly thank you for coming. Thank you very much. And uh, if we, we have a few minutes for questions, if you have any, or if not, we can conclude. All right, thank you very much. Thank you.